Hey, Whipsters, this is the Women in Pants podcast, helping you overcome your work history gaps. I'm your host, Shayna Brazier. This episode is an interview with Danielle, who is the host of the It's My Pleasure podcast. We have a real conversation about sexuality in women, and we also talk about her story and her work history gap. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you can get updates when a new episode airs. Now for the show. So Danielle, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I think this is so awesome that you're doing this and sharing these stories. Well, I think it's so awesome that you started your podcast this year. I'm not going to lie. My business partner, Sarah, and I listened to it together. Yeah. And then we were like, um, maybe we shouldn't have her on the podcast. Maybe we should just hire her for our sexual frustration. <laughs> <laughs> Like, do you think she would still take us as clients after we do the podcast? Uh, Yes, I take everybody. (laughs) No discrimination. Perhaps that was a weird way to start the podcast, seeing as how maybe not everybody knows what you do. So why don't you um, give a brief overview of what you do now, and then we'll rewind time and talk about your story from the beginning. Okay. That sounds great. Yeah. So what I do now is I'm a coach and um, I have a podcast and it's called It's My Pleasure. And that podcast is focused on helping women use neuroscience and psychology and mindset and, um, you know, coaching tools and meditation to increase their pleasure potential, as I like to call it, but basically in, you know, helping them in the sexual realm and just having this really um, real conversation, I think that needs to happen in the world because it seems that if there is a sex conversation, it's very overtly sexual, which is in every woman. And um, I, you know, I hope to bring it to be to for more women, right? Like more accessible because it doesn't always have to be like this um, overtly sexual thing. I was actually interviewing somebody else and she called it almost like this extroverted sexuality versus introverted. And even though I've been a very comfortable woman with my sexuality, I, um, I think there's this assumption because I'm sexual that I'm like extreme or into the kink or have like some open relationship or something like that, where really I've been with one partner, my same part, I mean, not all ever, but like my husband for 16 years, you know, and it's not anything crazy. It's like most marriages, but you can still have like that connection and that intimacy and this amazing uh, pleasure with your person without having to have this like over the top sexuality or sexual personality. So it's using that and it's using the the brain and and a different way to approach it being like, there's nothing wrong with me. I just need to take a look at things a little differently. Yeah. And it's not a naughty podcast, but I have to admit that like when I was listening to it, I think I was listening to a couple episodes. I was doing the dishes. My husband walked in and I almost felt like I got caught. Like I was like, oh, <laughs> like turning off this podcast. And he's like, what are you listening to? And I was like, um, it's just this podcast about women and sexuality, which actually probably totally turned him on. So it's yeah. totally fine. But yeah, yeah. But it was this weird, like, I don't know. We just don't talk about it right. in in the way you're talking about it. Yeah. Like we yeah. we definitely joke about it. And I'm probably super terrible at that. I joke about it 
all the time because that's how I um, cope with things is through yeah. Yeah. Um, but we don't talk about it in like the real, like, okay, actually you should be getting lots of pleasure out of this and stuff. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I love that you said it's not naughty. Like there's that, but it's like, it gets exciting, right? Like, and we want that. We, I think that's part of sexuality, right? Is to get that little like giggle and like excitement that, you know, does feel a little bit like, Ooh, what's here. You know, it's like that curiosity. So I coach women around that. I'm also a, a coach in general. So a mindset and life, life, that's one realm of my coaching, but I coach a lot of women business owners or um, people that just really want whatever um, application they're putting it into their life, but helping use like that mindset and mind body to get them where they're trying to go. And do you know what I like about your coaching style? And I don't know you very well, but I have gone through your website and stuff here. Let me tell you what I really like about your coaching style. At least what you've put on your website. <laughs> Even though it's four years old and I really need to update it. So well, I'm just four that years ago, I really like you then. I like your four yeah. year old self, your four years ago self. <laughs> and let yes. me just fight because it's not, um, I don't even know how to phrase this. It's not like woo woo. I don't know what the word is for that, but like, no, that's exactly you what I like on your say. website. You're like, listen, this is, you know, your mind is a, a son of a bitch sometimes. And you're like, like you talk like real people. And I think that will speak to a lot of, I'm sure it already does speak to a lot of women because I think some of us, maybe some of us more sarcastic people in the world have a really mm -hmm. hard time with life coaches that are so like, um, I don't know if the world word is spiritual over the top. or just over the top and very <laughs> yeah. like, you know, find your passion and live in your wellness. And I mean, just use phrases that people don't say in real life. Yeah. And so it yeah. just, I'm like, live in my wellness. What does that even mean? Like, just, <laughs> and I'm, I'm probably just offending like every life coach out there right now, but I just like how real you are in the way you explain things and in the way you talk on your website. Well, thank you very much. Um, I did that on purpose. I think that was one of the reasons, you know how like when we're going into any job, and I'm sure we'll talk about this, is this this fraud complex a little bit. And um, and I had that a lot. And I had to like really work hard at finding my own, own voice. I'm like, I don't talk like that. I don't, I'm not woo-woo. And at first I used that as um, almost a reason why I wasn't going to be able to make it in this world or I wasn't going to be able to do it. And I'm like, wait a minute, but like my people are going to find me and my people aren't going to be attracted to that. And there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, I'm very close with those type of coaches. They're like some of my best friends. We just speak in different languages. It's like different dialects. It's like, I'm not going to discriminate against you because you're from the South and you have, you know, an accent. It's like that same kind of thing. We're saying very similar stuff. It's just a different language. That's perfect. My husband is a psychologist. So mm -hmm. we have a lot of mental health practitioner friends just from <laughs> his work and stuff. And so it is, we just speak different languages. We're just, yeah. we just have different dialects. I just, yes. I think that's beautiful. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Let's rewind all the way back okay. to high school. In high school, are you thinking to yourself, I am going to be a life coach? <laughs> Absolutely not. I was um, 
in high school, it was it was very interesting time for me, which kind of brings it into the sexuality realm. But um, the way that I was perceived or looked um, made me feel very uncomfortable and unsafe in my body. And so I was like, I need to establish myself differently, right? Like I want to make sure that I'm known as being like the the smart person, not like, you know, some chick that has TNA, right? Like it was like this very conflicting thing where I didn't want to be um, objectified, but yeah, I kind of did. Like, and like, I still wanted that attention because it's weird. You're in high yeah. school and you're like, I don't know. I want that attention, but you don't want it. And when you get it, you're like, but I'm smart. Pay attention to my smartness. Um, so very confusing times. Um, but I was, you know, straight A student, like overachiever to the max. Like I started tutoring kids in college in math when I was like 16 years old. And wow. um, yeah, I wanted to be a brain surgeon. Like that was, that was the thing. Yeah. That is kind of different than what you're doing right now. So yeah. walk, me, walk me past high school. You want to be a brain school surgeon. Do you go to college for that? Do you go to pre-med? Yeah. Yeah. So I went to, I went to school and I was pre-med, again, overachiever. So it was like biology and chemistry major, pre-med option. Um, I ended With up a doing... minor in Latin and... <laughs> <laughs> Well, I actually, this is where it all comes together. So I, you know, and like you have to take all these back core classes to, to round out your education, which I was pissed about. Cause I was like, I'm, I'm going to be a, a waste brain of time. Yeah. And it's such a waste of my time. I don't need any of this. And I signed up for this. It was like a world religion class and I signed up for this world religion class and our professor was a Buddhist monk and he, I was fascinated. I was like, this is amazing. And I felt like I could talk about it. And I was like, I'm totally minoring in philosophy, duh. And also because I have this social side, but you can't go to like college parties and talk about organic chemistry. I mean, I tried to, like I actually <laughs> went with like, I had note cards in my back pocket and I would like go out on like the smoking deck and I would like like, you know, like be studying my, for my OCHEM test and then go back inside and be like, I'm totally like here for the party. But it was like trying to, trying to balance the social and the nerdiness of me. Um, and, but the philosophy gave me something to like feel relatable to like other people outside of my science geeky clan. And, um, and so I, I fell in love with philosophy and I like wanted to read it on my own, not just because of school. And my um, professor, who is this monk, he became my guidance counselor through college. And I, so I was inundated in contemplative wisdom and ancient philosophy. And I just, I found it fascinating. And I focused on Eastern philosophy and mostly on Buddhist religion. And when I went, then I went to England and I studied neuroscience at a medical school out there. And I just remember this like day when we got to like have a whole human brain to ourselves, which was super cool. So I had like this whole human brain and I was like dissecting it. And it was like all this philosophy was going through my head about, you know, like the meditation stuff that I've been learning and um, these mental patterns and I'm like digging through and I'm like, like mind explosion where you're like all this 
setting your two worlds are kind of meeting. But at the time, there was nothing to support that. So there was no, this was before like Richie Davis got like really excited about bringing his like meditators into like the neuroscience labs and like beginning to like study their brains. That was like pre that time or I think it was like right at about he was starting to but none of these studies were published and they were definitely it was not mindfulness was not mainstream by any regards and so I had this um, I knew like from a knowledge standpoint like this cognition about mindfulness and meditation but even through all those years of studying it with my you know, Buddhist monk professor, I never practiced. I never actually did it. I just learned about it. To this, like, he's going to be so disappointed that you, all that time and you never did it. No, I was just like, this is amazing. This is like the key to the world. This is awesome. And like reading all these papers by the Dalai Lama and that sort of thing, but it wasn't something that I had implemented um, because I'm a skeptic at heart. Hence the reason I'm not very woo-woo. And so like I it took some time. And so then I got back from England and I'm getting, you know, doing this whole, like, I'm going to be a brain surgeon thing. And I had this moment where I had like all my books in front of me and I looked over at who's my husband now, but my boyfriend at the time. And I was like, I really just want to go hiking. (laughs) It was just like this, like, You, you know, that brain surgeons can go hiking. I know, but it was like this like thought. And then I was like, And then I want to do this and then I want to do this. And I want to like, it was just like all of these things. And it was this light bulb that went off in my head. And I'm like, who am I doing this for? Yeah. I was like, this is about other people's expectations or um, the expectations I put on myself or trying to like create this identity, but this isn't actually what I really want to do like every day for the rest of my life. And it was almost like coming from this place of like proving my intelligence or proving something versus desire. And so I closed my books and I walked away and that was, that was that. And then I found some other jobs. (laughs) (laughs) How did um, your boyfriend slash soon to be husband feel about that? Um, He was like, what? (laughs) He's like, you were sure? gonna be, you were gonna be his sugar mama. Totally, like that was the agreement. He was like, what, what was happening? And I mean, it was that was, I think, what was the hardest part. Like, I totally dissolved after that moment because there was so much of my um, identity that was wrapped up for so many years in my academics and my education and my brain as far as knowledge. And it was like, I felt like I completely unraveled for a bit. And, you know, seeing people that were friends that were just almost saying stuff like they're disappointed, or what are you going to do? Or you're not living up to your potential or out of everybody, you were the one that was going to do this. And now you're not like, it was a lot of a lot of backlash. And it was really hard for a number how did of your people. family feel about it? Um, my family's always been really supportive, but they were definitely like, what? But luckily my parents, you know, have trusted me to make my own mistakes. And so I think maybe they saw it as like, oh, this is just a moment, but maybe you'll come back to it sort of thing. Um, and then as time went on, you know, they, I'm sure they've talked about it, but they didn't talk a lot about it to me. It was just like, okay, babe, well then what are you going to do? <laughs> you know, like, what's your plan? 
But that's pretty cool that your parents yeah. could at least give you the space to yeah. figure your life out on your own kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, it was, it felt very good to feel not at least like, I, you know, I had that thought that maybe they were disappointed or let down or any of that for like a moment, but it wasn't, it was probably more in my mind than them actually saying or doing anything because I think there was part of me that was disappointed in myself or feeling like I quit. Yeah. Like so I did you go hiking? I totally went hiking. I went hiking a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure where I went that day, but yeah. So then after that, I, um, I actually ended up getting a job in the medical equipment kind of realm, which is similar to pharmaceuticals, but I actually was in the operating room a lot of the times because I had that background in, um, anatomy that was I, I was able to use and then talking with doctors and then also I would actually set patients up um, at their house or at the hospital and that's when I was you know because I still really loved helping people like that was my thing I want to help people I want to use my brain to help people I want to be around people and in those few years I was so surrounded by pain like phys people in physical pain all of the time and I had just so much compassion. Like I'd end up just hanging out at their house and talking to them for like way longer than it takes to set them up with equipment because they needed that safe space to like talk about their pain. Um, and I also started working at Children's Cancer Association as a volunteer. Later, I got a job there and that um, talk about pain, you know, so I'm going from this place of physical pain all day. And then in the evenings or in my volunteer hours, I was going with one of the most extreme emotional pain you could go through being with families facing childhood cancer. And um, I just kept following this knee, but I didn't know what that was going to look like. It was just like, I'm uh, not a lot of people can, I think be around extreme emotional pain nor physical pain. It makes you super uncomfortable. And I realized like, this doesn't actually make me uncomfortable at all. And it's exhausting. Yeah. Like I know in, in emotional times or when I've been with people who are sick or even um, when my grandma was dying, like you just go home exhausted. Mm -hmm. At least I did. So yeah. I'm glad there's people like you because I could not do that. Like yeah. on the regular all day, I couldn't do that. Yeah. And I think that's the key though, right? Like, like with what I noticed, I went to one of these seminars that was about like mindfulness and taking care of yourself. and um, and it, and that's what I really realized. Like I can be around physical pain without making it my own, without bringing it home. And that's kind of like where all of these things started to click in my head for me. Yeah. That's cool. So where do you go from there? Where does your work history gap come in? Um, so I was doing this job and I started getting my own physical pain. Um, and that it started with a car accident and then it just kind of went from there. And um, the car accident wasn't even anything extreme, but it triggered something in my body. And then I basically got to the place with my physical body where I couldn't like get out of bed most days. And I had to quit because I didn't have the um, physical ability anymore. So I would, I ended up spending about two years bedridden 
Um, maybe, that is a long time. Yeah. And I don't want to say like bedridden, like I was in bed all the hours, all the days. Um, I was able, like on a good day, I could get out of bed and maybe move around and do some uh, hiking was one thing that like, even though you would think like a shower hurt when I got out in nature and I got on a trail, it was like something's like, I don't know how to explain it, but like I was okay. And I was like, okay, let's just do one foot in front of the other. And I could. The car ride home, I could barely grip the steering wheel, but it was like something shifted when I was on the trail and I was able to hike. So I hiked during those couple of years, but I had a hard time you know, even doing like, I love knitting and quilting because sometimes, and I, and driving, because a lot of times my hands would go totally numb and I couldn't grip anything or grip the steering wheel. Um, and so, yeah, so it was about two years where it was really extreme. Um, and most of all of those hours were spent in bed, though I had some good days where I got out and did other things, but it was not a lot. <laughs> How did that affect you mentally? Um, well, that's where everything came full circle. Cause I like was in the deepest, darkest spot in my life. Um, my husband and I were also trying to get pregnant and I had lost two pregnancies. Um, one like early second trimester and then one right on the very last week of the first. And, um, I was looking at my body like you suck, like you're a total failure. <laughs> like, I don't mean to laugh. Yeah, I, I, like, I love that you said that versus like, <laughs> I just, I just needed to have more faith and I was totally fine. Like, I'm so glad you're being real. No, it was, it was so real. Body. I was like, this really sucks. Like, I just was like, you're a failure. It was more like that language. Like you suck, you're a failure. You're all of these things. Like here I am, like, I can barely move my body. I love moving my body. I can't even do the things that like light me up. I don't even know what kind of job I can have because who's going to employ this person that can not move on most days. Um, and then, and then like, I'm a woman and there's this, like, I was one of the first of my friends to ever start. So like the idea that you couldn't just like get pregnant right away and have a baby was so foreign to me. It wasn't like there was none of these, there wasn't like there was Instagram yet where there's all these communities talking about fertility support. Like I didn't have that. And so I'm just sitting at home like, awesome, I can't move, I can't have a baby, I can't do, I can't work, like, why am I here? Like, why am I trapped in this body that literally just sucks? Like, that's like the best way to kind of put it. And, um, and so I went to, I tried going to a yoga class, and I was like, maybe I can go because I can't do any of the other stuff. Like, yoga is gentle, like, I didn't know too much about it. And I was there and the teacher was like, you can just lay on your mat and keep your eyes closed and like picture yourself doing all of the poses. I was like, oh, okay. And then she was like directing us how to follow our breath. And my eyes were closed and I'm following my breath. And she was like, just watch what's happening in your mind. And all of a sudden I like woke up to that voice that was in my head. I never realized it because I was so, I was the voice. Like I didn't discern any difference. And I woke up to it. And I was like, oh my God, I am like, I am such an asshole to myself all 
the time. Like my critic was so horrible and so mean. I was like, no wonder I can't get out of bed. I'm like living with this enemy that's like literally like beating me up on the regular. And, and it was such this aha. So I went home from that and I got out all of my college books. <laughs> and like, hey, it was it like, this, away. Yeah, it was like, boom. And like, it was deep. And from that point on, it was like, I went to mindfulness, like, and then I looked up, um, I even brought out my neuroscience books. And now there were starting to be some of um, like studies published online. And I went and I, you know, started, I mean, you can't follow back then. So but I like looked up and I like went to the places where like the top neuropsychologists were that also meditated. And I learned from them. And I, um, I just totally threw myself into the practices um, to help my mind because my mind was in such a dark spot. That is yeah. so cool. That is such a great story because hey. I could easily see myself just being swallowed up in the depression. Yeah. Like I, so I have been experiencing vertigo the last mm. couple weeks and bad enough that for a couple of days there, like I couldn't do anything. I couldn't go out. And even just a couple of days of having to lay down a lot and not drive and just all these things. I was like, same thing. I'm worthless. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm a, a waste of, of fresh air. I should just like, this is just terrible. Yeah. Like, it just so quickly. I, I think it is primal that our bodies are meant to move. Yeah. And so when we are limited, I think it is only natural to feel very just like trapped. Yeah. But yeah. what a great story of just getting out of that and getting out of your head and being able to overcome that. So when did you, physically get better? Uh, yeah, I think that, you know, I mean, not to get too woo-woo on you, but... <laughs> Throw in a swear word, it'll be fine, and then I won't feel so weird about it. <laughs> um, no, it, I, I honestly think that it was that, my, it was that mental game, right? Because, and, and I've worked with a lot of women. Um, I've also experienced vertigo, so I totally know what you're going through, and it's, it's trippy. Like you feel like you're on drugs. It, um, yes. Or, or like drunk all the time. Like, all the time. But you're like not having fun. Yes, like, but it's not. There's no yeah, fun. Yes. No. You're like, I, I don't want to just like dance in the middle of the living room like for really fun. You're like, this is nuts. Maybe I should hear um, that though. Yeah. Just do it. Just see what happens. Just like swing your shirt around your head and just see like, does this make it more fun? Oh yeah. Well, it would make it more fun for my husband. Um, but yeah, like I, um, I really do think I, I'm a total believer in mind body connection. And when it really comes back to the brain and I think that that's what I've spent so many years now is like really understanding like the potential of our brain, right? Like there's so much untapped potential and we can use it to rewire and the way that we relate to our body and relate to these illnesses even, right? So it doesn't mean that there's not physical stuff, but so much of like what makes it worse is the way that we view it. Um, like when we look at it as being a problem, when we are thinking thoughts like I'm not good enough and I'm never going to be able to do the things that creates that, um, that part of our nervous system to be triggered. And then when it creates more tension, it creates more inflammation and it creates all the things that we're already pissed about. And so it's like, 
using the brain to heal the body as woo woo as it sounds, it's very scientific when you get into like the experience dependent neuroplasticity of the brain and the potential we have there. Um, so even though it sounds woo woo when you're like kind of explain it, when you get down into it, it's like, it's very, it's very scientific and it's really awesome. No, <laughs> so yes, I physically really I got better. Good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I still have a lot of stuff. I mean, I had um, multiple things since then. I like to call it like my witchy powers coming in. It's like these weird things that will happen that it like, it's like my brain needs to wake up to like this other part of my potential coming in. But like, I lost my hearing for a, a few, a little bit. And, <laughs> and I've got That's weird scary. things. Yeah. And then I had like a near death experience when my daughter was six months old, I was so sick that I could, I almost passed away and I was in the hospital for 10 days. And then because of that, they found out that I had thyroid cancer, like all this crazy, like weird shit. That's a <laughs> so lot. The saga, doesn't continue, the saga doesn't end there, but I just call it my magic body because every time that it does something really weird, um, I learn a lot. That yeah. is crazy. That's a lot to have to deal with. Yeah. So where in this journey do you decide that you want to go into coaching? Um, so after doing all the meditation and the mindfulness and like a training, like I said, with um, some really brilliant and amazing people that were more in the intellectual world. Those were always the people that I trained because I was like, ooh, they speak my language. Because at first when I started getting into meditation, I was like, I can't teach people because I'm not a monk. Or I was like, you know, talking to my husband, like, maybe I need to go live in India for a while so that I'm like legit <laughs> because I didn't sound like the other people. And, and especially in Portland, there's a lot of that. And I was like having this identity crisis that I wasn't good enough because of the way that I spoke or that I had a very... Not that their life isn't real. Um, I don't want to say like a very real life. Like my life just looked more um, mainstream. Mainstream, yeah. And so it was really tricky. And then I was like, wait a minute, but the people that want to hear about this, like they're not going to hear it from those people because they don't really relate to those people as much. So it's okay. Like maybe there is a space. Like then I started entertaining the idea, like maybe there is a space for me in this world. It just looks a little bit different um, than the other, like my friends in the meditation community. Right. And so I was at this, um, have you read the book self-compassion? Like, no. Christina? Oh, it's but so I good. should. Yeah, it's a great book. Um, anyway, her and Christopher Germer, who are like two of the leading researchers on self-compassion and, you know, Harvard psychologists and all this stuff. So they did like one of their first trainings on self-compassion. I went to a number of years ago and they, I was sitting next to this woman and I was like, oh, what do you do? Because everybody in the room was a psychologist like other than me. I was like, oh, I just, you know. I don't know what, what I do. I'm a pseudo monk. I, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I was like, I, I, I know exactly all the things that you guys are talking about because I've read all the books. I just haven't. And so at that time, I was actually considering going and getting um, my therapy degree or something like that. And I was sitting next to this woman and I was like, oh, what do you do? She was like, I'm a life coach. I was like, come again? What is that? Like I'd I had not heard, <laughs> I had not heard of that. And she explained, it. I was like, <gasps> 
oh my fucking God, that's exactly what I need to do. <laughs> you go, no way. I'm a life coach. I was like, this is, I was like, this exists. I was like, this is exactly like what I'm trying to do. I just didn't have like a name for it. And so that's, that was that. Yeah. That's and awesome. I've done like trainings and certifications and all the, the courses and that kind of stuff since then to increase um, my skill and my knowledge. But yeah. How many years ago was that? That was four, four years ago. Yeah. 2015. Yeah. It was a, maybe at the end of 2014 or beginning of 2015. And I had already been teaching in like, you know, in my living room and mindfulness and meditation and groups and offering workshops. And even in the corporate world, I was doing that and then doing kind of some, you know, one-on-one talking on the side. But um, that was like the turning point where it was like, okay, I can keep doing these teachings and workshops and talks, but I can also have like a full one-on-one practice. That's very yeah. cool. So how does um, female sexuality come into all of this? You know, I've had that question a lot. So it's um, that one, I think one of the things that I find so fascinating about female, like, well, just sexuality in general, um, I don't want to label it necessarily female or male is that we, it's like all of the things that I'm talking about, like heightened, right? It's like, this is the one realm of our life that it's literally, in my opinion, bringing all of the elements and all of the ingredients in. I actually find it also to be the most challenging coaching because these are beliefs that have been passed down through generations to generations. They're, we're inundated with them all of the time, and they are one of the most deeply uninvestigated beliefs out there. And so when I get to do that and work on those like really strong neural patterns, I'm like, bring it, let's do this. (laughs) Um, Also, I'm not afraid to talk about sex. Like that's like, it's always been some, I mean, like on my 18th birthday, like I didn't get a tattoo. I didn't go buy cigarettes. I went to the sex shop. (laughs) (laughs) And I bought my first vibrator. (laughs) Danielle, it has been such a pleasure to talk. It's been my pleasure. <laughs> yes. uh, that's where the name came from. Yes. Yes. Let's end with your piece of advice for the woman who is in your shoes. What was it? Five or six years ago when you are having all of your physical issues and can't get out of bed very much and just feeling so done. What's your piece yeah. of advice to that woman? Um, I mean, my main piece of advice was to be like, have your own back, like be compassionate, right? Is the most like self-compassion I think is the biggest game changer when you realize like, I think in those moments when we're really down and we're really out, we try and be like, oh, you shouldn't be this way. Like, just get out of bed. Like, just do the thing, right? And it's this subtle thing that we think is motivation and is encouraging when really it's just another way of telling ourselves that we're not good enough. And so if you can take these moments where you're feeling super down and being like, of course you're upset. Like, of course you're having a time. This is really rough, baby girl. Like, I love you. Keep going and start there. Because when you start to treat yourself like 
your very best friend and you start to begin this love affair with who you are, not who you could be or who you want to become, you will naturally become that person because she's being nourished. That's perfect. Thank you so much for coming on, Danielle. Yeah, you're welcome. 